0: How's everybody doing this time? Good, awesome. Three of you are great, and that's good. That means it's gone steadily downhill, but that's fine. We'll try to pick that up. Uh, So I don't know if you saw this on the news the other day. It was on sports and regular, and it's not the Britney Spears story, although that's funny. Um, If you don't know that, ask me later. Uh, So there was a man uh, leaving the, the game, the Reds game, and he was a Brewers fan, but we love everybody. And so he was just having such a bad day. It wasn't just the game, but just everything had been going wrong for him. He'd had his fight with his friend at the game, and and just he felt awful about himself, and he's driving. And while he's driving down the highway, 50, uh, he hits a rabbit. And he just, he he basically breaks. He stops, and he gets out, and he cradles the rabbit, and he's crying. And he's just losing it. And and he feels so awful, and he's wondering if he's a bad person. And you're wondering, is this a joke? And so we go on, and all of a sudden... (laughs) uh, let's just say Sean drives by and he's in full reds regalia but he sees him and Sean's a a godly fella and so he stops and you know he comes over he's like what's going on like what happened because he sees the scene and it's kind of strange and he's like I just I'm I'm an awful person I hit this rabbit and it's dead and I feel so bad and, and it's just a symbol for my life and blah 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 and Sean's like he looks at him and Kind of has a thoughtful look and he thinks of something and he's like, oh, okay. And he runs back to his car and he comes back and he's like cradling this, this bottle. And he goes over and he sprays it on the rabbit and the rabbit pops up and runs off. And the guy's like, what was that? And Sean's like, hairspray. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I like when there's a long way to get to a bad punchline. That's my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite. Uh, So we are continuing the Amazing Acts series. And I really love this series because I really love Acts. And it's so cool to see the church begin, to see the church be the church, to see the church go on mission trips and do everything to help people, to show love. And we see Paul and we see Peter and we see Silas and Barnabas and all of the disciples picking up for Jesus and doing everything to show us what it means to be disciples, to show us what it means to be the church. And so we're going to continue this week. And in a way, it's kind of connected to last week's story, but don't jump ahead. Uh, Acts 16, through 40. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaking to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now, like I said, don't jump ahead. If you know this story, if you don't know this story, I want to go back to some of the other things first. Uh, First, Paul and Silas had just come off... The the first missionary journey, and we've heard about Paul's missionary journeys, and so it was successful. And they did everything they could to open churches, to show Jesus, to to help people, to heal people, to, to show people hope. And it was such an amazing thing that they were doing, and beginning the church, really going strong. And then they go into this area, and this is in the Roman area as we're talking about, and they get arrested. Now, Paul was no stranger to being arrested, although this is still early on. And they were arrested for several quote-unquote reasons, uh, partially because they were Jewish and Jesus followers, and, and they kind of looked apart, the and they were, they were preaching, and they were stirring up things, and, and so they didn't really like that. But mostly, right before this, they had just exorcised a demon from a little servant girl. And the rich people that had controlled her were using that, service, that servant girl to, to make money. And they had exercised the demon and helped her, saved her life, and thus all of the rich people there that, that were in charge of that hated them. And so they didn't care about the girl's life, they didn't care about Jesus' stuff, they didn't care about anything, but they just lost their money and so they were mad. Uh, and then the, the Roman people brought vague charges. It's kind of like, yeah, well they did this and there's the potential for this and all of these things were piled up against them. But essentially, it breaks down to they were being like Jesus. They were doing what Jesus did. They were living like Jesus. They were helping people like Jesus. They were trying their best to point people to God like Jesus. They were doing everything that they had been taught to do, to be the church, to be Jesus. And so they're arrested. And they were severely beaten, it says. Now, in the Jewish area, where they had control, uh, there was a limit to how many times you could be whipped and we see that with Jesus when he's whipped 39 times Uh, but in the Roman area there's no limit and so they were just beaten almost to death beaten and beaten and beaten and it had to hurt obviously and so they were hurt and they were uh, just upset and broken and, and bleeding and battered and all of these different things and then they're put in stocks now if you don't know what stocks are Uh, If you go to King's Island or something, they'll have those things where it's like you put your hand in there and you take a really cool picture, like your head, you know what I'm saying, everybody? Good. Three people nodded their heads, that's all I need. Uh, And so this was in feet, though. Now, usually you'll have, like, the two holes to put your legs in, because you have two legs. And in this case... They had multiple holes so they could spread them apart and really cause extra pain. So it was not just stocks. It wasn't just to hold them in place. It was a torture device in addition to that. And so this is not a fun time for them. This is a harmful time for them. They had done nothing but good. They had done nothing but preach Jesus, done nothing but live for Jesus. And they are beaten and hurt and arrested. And they're basically being treated like Jesus was being treated. And yet, as we see in this story, in the prison, while they're still recovering, while they're still hurting, that same day, they start singing and praising. They start worshiping. And for the other prisoners and for the jailers and everybody around, that had to be the most insane thing ever. Because it's not just that they got arrested and put in there. They were beaten almost to death. They were harmed. They were insulted. All of these things. They were threatened. They were probably told, you're going to die. They knew about James, and they knew all of these things that had happened. Paul definitely knew what could happen to them. And it had to be so powerful to see what they were doing at what could have been the lowest point in their life. Now imagine that. Imagine being one of the, the other prisoners. Imagine being one of the jailers. It is so easy to worship in happy times. And we just had a wonderful worship time of the service. And when we're feeling good, when the Reds are on a win streak, it's awesome to worship. And we feel so good and we're so happy. But sometimes life is really bad. Sometimes it's on the other end. Sometimes it's 100 losses like last year. Sometimes life just is beating us and it feels so awful. And it's so hard to do that. But because they still had Jesus, it didn't mean they didn't hurt, and it didn't mean they weren't sad, it didn't mean they they weren't scared, but they felt Him. And in the lack of anything else, they knew we still have Him, and so they worshipped. And that's such a powerful statement, such an important thing. And the other prisoners heard, and the jailers heard, and everybody heard that they were worshipping at the worst point in their lives. Imagine what power that would have have if we could do that. Imagine if instead of complaining and posting negative things, instead of being hateful or judgmental or whatever, imagine when things are going bad, when we're scared, when we're worried, if we worshipped, not that we never grieve, not that we never feel sad, but if we just worshiped and we praised and we showed hope and we brought people to Jesus even more because we can look at Jesus' life and see things were never very great for him. He was always treated awful. And yet he always would show love, show hope, show peace. Imagine if we did that more. That persistent hope. That's what we do. That's why we're here today. That's who we are as the church, as Christians, as people of God. We are to show persistent hope. Again, there are going to be sad times and it's okay to be sad. Believe me. I have a doctorate in being sad. It's the only doctorate I have, sadly. There are times to grieve, and we know that. But even in those times, we still have him. And we still can be an example of him, of how to to lose gracefully, of how to show him, even at the worst, like Paul and Silas did. And then in the midst of this, there's a miraculous earthquake. And it's such an amazing, obviously God-timing event but we're not going to get to that yet because I have a quote on the first part people may hate us because of Jesus but they should never hate Jesus because of us the way we treat others should lead them to only one conclusion if this is how Jesus loves then I'm in people are going to hate people are going to hate us people are going to hate they're going to most people look for reasons to hate in fact There's a whole uh, profession called movie critic that goes into things looking for reasons to hate things. And so people are going to find reasons to hate you. But if one of those reasons leads them to hate Jesus because of you, that's a problem. Hating you because of Jesus, that's fine. Jesus said that would happen. He literally told us. And fair or not, and life is so rarely fair, fair or not, people by and large, judge the church and judge Christians by what they see most publicly. And most of the time, that comes from the people with the biggest microphones, the largest followings, the most people voting for them, whatever, regardless of their actual faith. And so people judge every Christian and every church by that. There are very rarely going to be news stories about the time that a church gave or did this amazing thing or stayed together or had a faith on the lawn or whatever. Whatever. The stories will be when the pastor uh, steals from from the offering or, or when someone in the congregation does something bad or whatever. That's how it happens because that's how the news works. And so people judge everything based on that. Same thing happened for Paul and Silas. And yet Paul and Silas showed a life of Jesus fulfilled. They showed even when everybody's against them, he was for them. They showed this is who Jesus is. This is our faith. You can hate us. But He loves you. And it's such a powerful statement, like I've said. And over and over and over I've said, and will continue to say, you may be the only example of Jesus someone truly sees. That's a powerful thing. It's an important thing. And yeah, it's not fair that people judge you by somebody you don't even know. But it happens. So it just means we have to be that much more aware of how we are like Jesus. Of how our faith is a magnet of how we can show him how our faith draws people in, how people see us live our lives, just normal lives, go to work, go to church, go to school, go to a game, whatever you do, how they see our lives and are like, wow, there is something different about them. There is something different about them. What is it? And then that seed is planted and it starts to grow. Again, it may not be fair, but it's real. This is who we are. This is the church. Being like Jesus, it is for Him. To bring others to Him. To point others to Him. That's the entire purpose. To do good in His name. To live hopefully in His name. To show love in His name. To show people, hey, this is actually a better life. It's not just getting up early and and listening to somebody drone on and on. It's getting to serve him and to know that there is more to life, that there is more out there, that we can be a part of more than we could ever imagine. Going to the next part, and now we'll finally get to the earthquake, don't worry. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. 99.9999% of people, Christians, whatever, would have left as soon as those doors opened and it would have been justified. It would have been so easy to see that as an act of God because it was an act of God and to think, well, this is a sign. I can go. I can go. So to stay is not only insane to the level of, say, worshiping when you're beaten almost to death, but it shows such an openness to the leading of the Spirit that they are so aware that that Paul, who knew so much about the system and so much about the laws and so much about all of this stuff, he knew what the jailer would do if they left. He also knew that regardless of his citizenship and regardless of anything else, if they stayed, they could be put to death. And yet he felt the spirit. Because to Paul and Silas, the life of the jailer was worth more than theirs. The life of one person, the the life of one lost. And I gotta tell you, the jailer wasn't a nice guy. So it's not like there was this really kind guy who tried to get them out and was really nice and and gave them extra cake and all these things, and he's there. This is one of the jailers that had probably beaten them or at least put them in stocks and was in charge of them being there. And yet, to Paul and Silas, the lives of any other is greater than their personal freedom, greater than their personal comfort, greater than their own because it was a chance. And in these circumstances, to escape and go home. And again, this could have been easily justified because you can think, hey, as long as we're alive, we can bring more people. What's one person? We can bring more people to Jesus. We can start more churches. And they knew that. But it was they had this one person in front of them. Where have I heard that before? You see, Jesus often said, when one leaves the hundred, I will rejoice when I find him. The other 99 are awesome and I love them, but that one, it's about the lost. It's about continuing. It's about helping. And Paul and Silas knew that. And you notice that the jailer didn't run in and comment on the earthquake. He ran in and commented on Paul and Silas's love. He commented on their faith. He saw them. He saw their hope. He saw their actions. He saw Jesus through them. This is our call. This is who we can be. This is our witness. To be natural magnets. To show His hope, His love. To show that the other people we talk to matter. That they're more than an opinion. That they're more than a group. That they're more than a vote. That they're more than a party. Whatever. That they are loved by Him. And because we know we are loved by Him, and we're so filled with that love, that we will go to them and show them love, even when we don't want to. Even if they're a Purdue fan. It's the worst thing I could think of. Our faith should make others want what we have. That's what it comes down to. The way we live our faith, the way we show our faith, the way we live our lives should make others want what we have. Now, There were people at the time and probably throughout history that will look at that and say, wait, Paul didn't talk about repenting, and Paul didn't say this, and and what's going on with the jailer? Like, it shouldn't be that easy, blah, blah, blah. But you see, the keeper, the jail keeper was already repenting. He's asking, what can I do? And so Paul tells him to believe. It wasn't the time for theology. It wasn't the time for the the doctrine of the Trinity, although those things are important. It wasn't even time for church. It was simply time to start the change in a life. There was an old chaplain general of the British Army, as I'm sure everybody here knows, and his name was John Taylor Smith. And he used to have a test for candidates into the chaplaincy. And it was basically um, how they would speak to a man who had been injured on the battlefield. And so essentially it boils down to if they could not do it in three minutes, then they weren't ready. This does not mean that that's all there is, that it's just a three minute thing and boom, that's your life, that's your faith. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul and Silas are saying, but it has to start somewhere. That seed has to be planted. That desire for Jesus has to be grown. It has to start Paul said, Everyone in your household will be saved, not because of what he just did, but he knew what was coming. And he's like, If you change your life, if you give it to Jesus, then when we go to your house, they're going to change too. That's how confident he was. That's how sure he was in Christ, in the Spirit. And so it happened. It's amazing. They go to his house, and this is the same guy who'd hurt them, who had arrested them, or had been involved in it at least. And now he was helping them. And his whole family was baptized, and his whole life was changed. And everything in that man's life was now different. All because they stayed when it would have been easier to escape. Now you get the title. All because they stayed to help one person, to reach out to one person, to show love to one person. It changed so many lives. I have another quote. In every situation and every circumstance of your life, God is always doing a thousand different things that you cannot see and you do not know. And this means a bunch of things to me. Number one, every situation is different. And we can fall into this habit of every situation is the same and oh, it's time to get up and go to church and hear Jeff talk and and then we go home and we have lunch and I don't know where we have lunch, somewhere that's not Chick-fil-A obviously. (laughs) And then we go throughout the week and we go to work and it's the same and every time I meet somebody it's the same and every time I do this it's the same and every time I go to church it's the same and we start to look at things like that because As adults, life can be kind of similar over the course of time. I know every single morning I wake up and I give Stevie her shot and food and all of that. That's my dog, if you didn't know that. And so it can feel the same, but every situation is different. Every situation is a chance to show Jesus, to show love, to show hope. Every situation is something new. I've used this before. A lot of people have used this before. But let's say that uh, God calls fish. He has a special walkie-talkie. And he says, hey, this morning I want you to have an apple for breakfast. And you know where I'm going with this, but it's a good one. And so fish has an apple. Next day he wakes up and call comes in from God. Hey, have an apple for breakfast. And fish is like, okay, okay, has an apple. Third day, same thing. God calls Fish has an apple. The fourth day, fish gets up and starts eating an apple, but God wanted him to have an orange. My point is, we get so used to the way things always are that we stop noticing the earthquakes. We stop noticing the opportunities. And last week, and this is where it ties in, Peter was miraculously freed from prison and he left. And so Paul and Silas knew that story. And so if they'd seen it as, oh, this is God freeing us again, and they left, the jailer's dead. And maybe, again, they could have justified him and like, oh, that's awful, but, you know, he wasn't a very nice guy. And we're going to go help these people. But what they did was see beyond what he'd done and who he was. And they felt the spirit, and they knew it was a different situation, and they knew that it mattered. And they knew that they could do something about it. They didn't assume. They just showed Jesus. They were open. They felt him. They loved, and they showed it. Going to the next verse. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, "Let those men go." So the jailer told Paul, "Uh, "The city officials have told you and Silas have have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace." But Paul replied. They have publicly beaten us, beaten us without trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves and release us. Paul was pretty special. Uh, when the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia, there they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So the magistrates wanted out of it. They knew the earthquake. They knew all this stuff happened. They knew that Paul and Silas were, at the very least, kind of troublemakers. And they're like, okay, let's just get rid of this situation, and let's wipe it under the rug. And so like, hey, go. Now Paul, like I said, he had other plans. Paul was very confident most of the time. He knew, now here is the key, he knew all along that at his word, at his proof of citizenship, they'd have to let him go. So why did he stay? Because again, he trusted the Spirit. He followed his leading. And so, maybe they didn't have the chance to reveal it. Maybe the arrest and the beating came too too quickly. but, But maybe the Spirit just said, wait, Paul. Wait. And Paul wasn't a big fan of waiting all the time, but he waited. And so now he saw this chance, not to show up the people, but to show them what they'd done and who they'd been and be like, hey, we could have left, anytime. We could have left. But they stayed because, again, their rights were not as important as their obedience to God. And here is the amazing part of the miracle. The earthquake had nothing to do with their escape. It had nothing to do with their escape. But it had everything to do with the guard's salvation and his family's salvation. That's how God acts. He's doing a million different things in every situation that we cannot see, that we do not know. So we just have to follow Him. We can't know that stuff. We just do our best to be like Jesus. We do our best to show Him, to love for Him, to be His light in a world of darkness, to be like Him. And He'll take care of it. And so, after all of this, when Paul's set them straight, after, and again, you don't just recover from being beaten almost to death just because they helped somebody. Like, that was nice and it was awesome and it was miraculous, but they're still hurting. And so, they go to the house of Lydia to encourage her and the believers. Now, that's just not a random name. Earlier in their ministry, they had brought her to Christ. And so, she's a new believer. And they go to encourage her, to tell the others the story, to say, hey, God is with us. He is with us. All we have to do is keep living for Him, showing Him. Even after all of this, they went to encourage others and pray. Just like after all of the beating, they went to worship and pray. All of this pain, all of this suffering, was for one person and one family. But think of the ripples of that. Think of the people that that jailer had access to that he could talk to that maybe wouldn't care what Paul and Silas said, but he could say, hey, listen to this story. Think of the people the family had access to and could talk to and could show how they had changed. Think of that, how from one person it grew of everyone who was helped, of every way that it went well, all because they listened and they stayed for one person. My final quote is, shockingly, from C.S. Lewis. I heard that Luke had a joke about that, but that's fine. God allows us to experience the low points of life in order to teach us lessons that we could learn in no other way. Now, let me be clear in saying, we have free will. So sometimes when bad things happen, we think, and people will say, well, God made that to happen to test us. God doesn't do that but he allows us to face those things. He allows us to have free will and the suffering that comes through free will. He allows us to have all of that so that we can learn. If we were happy all the time, it'd be nice, but we would never see the people who were sad. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. I teach an Always Keep Fighting class, and I talk a lot about my mental health, and that's because I struggle with my mental health. If I didn't, maybe I wouldn't be as open to that. Maybe I wouldn't see it. But I do. And that's God's plan, and I trust him. So whatever it is you're going through, this is not me saying, hey, be happy about it. But learn from it. Ask for help. Ask for prayer. uh, 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 Grieve. Go through whatever you need to go through, but trust that you will get through it. Trust that God is with you because God does not cause suffering, but He brings victory from it. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. That is where our strongest witness comes from. Everything that we do, everything that we go through, everything that we are is about showing Him to others. (coughs) About living out our faith in such a way that it is impossible to not realize that we serve Jesus. And again, sometimes people are going to hate you for it. People killed Jesus for it. They killed the disciples for it. Man, for that one that we reach, and their family, and their friends, and the people that see that, that's what this is about. It is about living in such a way that our faith is so attractive that we don't even have to say a word for people to see Jesus. That's who we are. That's who we can be. That's who the church can be. And that's all I got.